Douglas Goldstein, E-Futurist, Population Health Forum 2015. Michael Dermer, you gave a great talk on the implications of incentives. Now, you're one of the country's uh, leading experts on incentives in health and life and medical. So what's happening with the EOC and what are the implications for the whole incentive business in health? You know, it's it's almost surreal because, you know, 10 years ago, incentives in healthcare didn't exist despite the fact that they existed, you know, in every other medium. Um, and more recently, you know, you've got employers that are spending, you know, $900 per employee on incentives. But more recently, the EEOC came out and sued a whole bunch of companies, including Honeywell, um, despite the provisions in the Affordable Care Act that increased incentives from 30 or 50 percent of premium. So you had one of these circumstances where you finally had a piece of the ACA that both sides of the aisle agreed upon. And then the EEOC, you know, to try to protect workers, came out and said, well, this stuff's not really voluntary. And so there's been a big kind of clash between and among, you know, how do you protect workers and how do you design incentive programs. And so final regulations are coming out, uh, you know, in a couple of months. It'll be interesting to see. So we've been working pretty closely with the PHA and HERO on recommendations to, you know, to the EEOC about what would strike that appropriate balance. How do you think it's going to come out? Well, we hope it looks a lot like the ACA because you've had employers now for the better part of two years that have been working on these types of programs. Um, the EEOC has come out and said they'd like to reduce the amount from 50% of premium to 30% of premium. You know, they'd like to count both participatory and health outcomes programs, and they'd like to count things like days off and other in-kind incentives in the calculation. Um, the other thing they're doing is not wanting to count the uh, cost of spouse and domestic partner health care in the calculation of 30 or 50 percent. Um, I think the problem with that, even though they're trying to protect employees, um, they're actually undermining the actual dollar value incentives that you need to to drive behavior. So ideally, it'll look as close to the ACA as possible. But I think we're probably going to get 10 or, 10 or 20 percent movement in the sense that they're going to be some some tinkering. Um, either way, it's got to happen quickly because employers right now are kind of sitting there with their hands up going, you know, what do we do? We thought we were compliant, but then all of a sudden Honeywell gets sued and we go from there. So we need a resolution relatively quickly. And that's some of the work that, that PHA is doing right now. So I also know that the uh, EOC, there was something around spouses, right? That I couldn't include, we're trying to create these cultures of health. The employers want to happy workers, productive workers, but I couldn't include my spouse in these programs as a community. How, what was that? And But there was a recent ruling on that too, right? Well, um, you know, 50 54% of companies now include spouses or domestic partners in their wellness programs and with incentives. The EEOC came out and said the 30 and 50% amount of premium you can use for incentives only in, can count the employee coverage. Um, now, some say the EEOC did that because they only have jurisdiction over the employee, but those more skeptical out there say, well, no, not really. Um, it was specific. And now recent rulings came out from the EEOC under GINA, where they started to deal a little bit with spouses. So if you really think about it, if you believe spouse, some say spouses and domestic partners are actually more costly than the employees themselves. They're not at the office subject to and exposed to the wellness programs that are there. So if we, if we take out the spousal coverage in the calculation, I mean, don't we just expect that employers would shift incentives away from the spouses, which is really the complete opposite result that we want to happen. So we'll see. This is the kind of knowledge that the Population Health Forum delivers 
throughout the whole program that is absolutely critical to keep companies safe and yeah. have them create these cultures of health and wellness and productive yeah. workforces, right? Yeah, well, I think what people don't realize is that even though there's a new app and a new program that comes up every day and all the venture funding that's coming, the people that have been doing this for 10 or 15 or 20 years, they really know what this is steeped in. And so at PHA and places like this, it's that experience of watching it over a period of time and not necessarily responding to the, the flavor of the day and how ultimately health plans and self-insured employers and now Medicare and Medicaid are using population health management tools and incentives. So um, again, we if we don't remember our history, we're bound to repeat it. So I think some of that experience definitely comes to life in the PHA. So with your knowledge of incentives, health, and workplaces, what are the top three things that this next set of companies and solutions need to think about as it relates to incentives? Yeah. Um, first and foremost is aligning the appropriate dollar value to the right type of behavior. You know, if you give away $50 for getting a biometric screening, um, you'd expect a certain response rate. If you give the same $50 away for reducing your BMI by 10%, you're going to get a completely different result. So it's really about aligning the data, right, that you have to say what's the optimal dollar value that drives it. Secondly, I would say is the legal regulatory, right? You've got to be able to fit this within, you know, the legal and regulatory framework. And thirdly, you know, one of the hot topics is do wellness programs and population health reduce cost? But when it comes to incentives, um, we've always encouraged people, don't just think long-term, right? While you're impacting lifestyle, why wouldn't you give somebody an incentive to go get a lower cost MRI, right? So if I can get a $2,000 MRI, or a $500 MRI two blocks away in New York City, why wouldn't I give you an incentive to do that? So you're seeing that in transparency programs, in telehealth programs. So don't just think, right, health management. You can also think process, right, and utilization management. So if you strike a balance, it's a much more universal approach to not just the things that, you know, the financial folks of the world will never believe, but how do you balance that with things that deliver immediate ROI today? So incentives, can you are intangible incentives effective and, and cash and money? So can you elaborate a little bit on that? We shouldn't just think about paying people to do stuff, right? Well, I think I don't think it's so much intangible versus tangible. I think it's kind of the mix of extrinsic and intrinsic motivators, right? Um, ultimately, to impact somebody's lifestyle, right, to get them to eat right and exercise, right, and manage their weight, we're going to ultimately have to tap into their intrinsic motivators. What the extrinsic motivators, you know, financial rewards do is they actually get people to show up and get there. And, and I almost think of them as causing epiphanies, right? You get some kind of financial incentive and you get exposed to a diagnosis, information you didn't have, a caregiver, right, that impacts you, a support group. I was involved in a program where a woman who was pregnant got an incentive for following her prenatal care, right? said the only reason she did it was because of the incentive. But then when she was there, she was now in a support group with other underprivileged pregnant women. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about the incentive anymore. It was more about, you know, how do you take care of your kid when you don't have the money to do it and things like that. So I almost think that the extrinsic motivators hopefully create these types of epiphanies. They go, oh, here's why I should really do that. And that's when you're hopefully you're tapping into some of those more, more intrinsic motivators. So they really have to work together. They do work together, absolutely. So any closing thoughts on this whole area of incentives? It's just very, it's surreal because, you know, back 10, 12 years ago when we started Incent One, um, people would say, we're never going to pay people to do the things they should be doing. And what we always said was, think about every other industry that's trying to get a consumer to do something. Would you ever, right, use a bank or fly on an airline that didn't have a, a loyalty program? 
And now it's just surreal because we're, it's only a matter of time before every health plan has Aetna rewards or Cigna rewards or United rewards. Um, so it's just surreal to look back 10 years and think about how people said this would never happen. And pretty soon you're going to have broad-based reward programs just like your credit cards and your airlines. That's great. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks for sharing your insights to help other companies do this smarter and better. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.